that song, though, this victory. Uh, we, we actually got to celebrate some victories last night. We had our rooted celebration last night, and um, it was just so cool. The, the people who had finished the, the 10 weeks of rooted got together. We had a taco truck. And we had a lot of fun, uh, but we were celebrating some of the real cool things that happened in people's lives through that. And then last service, we had a man that was baptized who just was there with us last night. And, and Rick asked the question, if anybody's not been baptized, who's ready? You know, and he's like, me. So we got him, we got him dunked this morning, which was very cool. Like literally cool. The heater wasn't working really well in the water. And I told him it was kind of like, you know, the Jordan River. It was like more authentic that way. Um, Welcome those of you online joining us as well. Uh, I wanted to hit a couple of things before we get into the last lesson in our series, Normal. Uh, but here's a couple of things for you. Uh, some of uh, our, our people are down right now at the 1045 service. They're down at the Children's Building. We have a baptism class for kids. We do this a couple times a year, and that's going on right now. So it's kind of cool for them, and hopefully it'll be warm for them when they're ready to make that choice. Um, but here's a couple of things for you. Thursday... Uh, we are not going to be doing our Thursday night service. It's Thanksgiving Day. You wouldn't come anyway. You'll be in a food coma, and we're not going to be here. And there's no pizza in the parking lot uh, next Thursday either. So Thanksgiving Day, be with your family and your friends. Uh, the following Sunday. So next Sunday, we are, we're actually planning a different kind of a worship experience. But a lot of the same elements, but it's going to be a little different. And it's all focused on gratitude and Thanksgiving. So that's coming up next week. You might want to invite some friends to that one. Um, but even with everything like we have go through and some of the difficulties, we can still find those things to be thankful for. And so we're going to come back and just worship our God who is good no matter what's happening around us. So that, that's next week. And then December 4th, in just a couple of weeks, we have our pop-up market happening on the corner. Uh, the, the booths are going to be uh, there in our children's building. We have the area for outside where people are going to be eating. We have the fire, wood fire pizza oven from Milano's and also the taco truck. Those are both going to be there. And then the idea is, in case you're new, we, we're actually providing this because we know that our small businesses, especially local small businesses, have just been devastated through COVID. And so we want to give an opportunity for them to be able to sell some things that they've created, made, whatever. And uh, we also want to give you an opportunity to get some really good stuff, unique stuff for Christmas, but it's going to help out small businesses. It's going to help you out. And on top of all that, all of our vendors are paying for their space. They're renting some space, renting a table or two tables. And then all that money is going to our kids' scholarship fund for camp in the next summer. And then uh, we're going to be having, you know, drinks like uh, Dr. Pepper and Coke and water and coffee, all that stuff. Whatever we make off of that goes to the kids' stuff. So it's kind of like it's a win, 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 win day. All right? So that's the pop-up market coming up in a couple of months. If you know somebody who has a small business and you think they might be interested, please get them the info. You actually have forms out in the lobby. You can take one to your friend, or if you're interested, please take that. And then uh, you can also direct them to our website, community.cc. At the bottom of that homepage, you can just kind of scroll through. There's a pop-up market. Click on that, and that same form is right there available. People can print it out, fill that out, and be a part of that with us. So all of that stuff is uh, going on, and I just wanted to say Thank you guys for being here today. Speaking of Thanksgiving and being grateful, I'm glad you're here. But I'm also thankful for some of my really good friends in ministry around the country. Uh, if you follow me on the social media stuff, I do 60 Seconds with PJ. And this month, I've had a couple different people kind of pop in on those and say what they were thankful for. But I'm also thankful for one of my friends. His name is Gene. He's a pastor in Anaheim. And uh, we were able to... Um, 
uh, borrow some of his series that he did one time for this series. I've gotten some really good ideas from him. In fact, I got this from him. I borrowed this from him, and I'll explain that in a little bit. Um, but I just I saw some things, and he, he shared some things that even though we talk about this stuff every year, you're always looking for how do we say this in a, in a fresh way, in a new way, and got some ideas from him. And it's, just like, it's cool having these guys all around the country we, we share ideas with. And I'm just so grateful that there's, there's people like that in my life who uh, encourage me, help me, and hopefully I can do the same for them as well. So thankful, a lot of things to be thankful for. Let's get into our last week of normal. If you've missed any, I'm going to just get you caught up. Normal week number one, we said this. Who really wants normal? <laughs> There's times in our life when normal actually is not a bad thing. But when it comes to our personal finances, normal in America means stress, debt, anxiety, sometimes divorce. It's like the, the, the kind of normal way that Americans deal with financial matters is not good and it's not healthy. And so we kind of looked at some things from the very beginning. In fact, we said it this way. If you want what normal people have financially, then do what normal people do. Makes sense. But if you want what few people have financially, do what few people do. And so we were saying, instead of being normal, we're going to be Christ followers. So we had to look at some new attitudes. We did that in week one. Week two, we actually said this. It's absurd that the creator of the universe would ask us for anything. And if you were with us last week, we looked at the triumphal entry of Jesus. As he comes into town, people are waving the palm branches and laying stuff on the ground. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus enters town on a borrowed donkey. And here's, here's the absurd thing. God created that donkey and then asked a guy that he had created to borrow that donkey that he had created. It's like, does God really need that? No, he could have just poof, made another donkey. We talked about that last week, right? And it would have the voice of Eddie Murphy. You know that it would. He could have done that. But no, he asked us because he wants us to be involved with him in, 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 in the miracle and in, and in changed lives and in, in doing what he's, he wants to do that in us and through us. He invites us to be a part of us. He doesn't need to ask us for anything, but he wants us to be engaged and, inv and involved in the process. And so that was, that was week two. And so this week, as we wrap this up, I just really want to kind of dive into some stuff I, I think will be helpful for all of us. And I want to do a couple of things with that. But first, let me just say this. I, I know that some of you are just tired of all the pandemic talk. It's been like 21 months solid, like pandemic, pandemic, pandemic. And, and so what I want to do is I'm going to talk about a different pandemic. Back in 1347, there's a thing called the Black Plague. Maybe you've heard of this one. And it's, it's ravaging its way through Europe. 1347, in a little town called Lübeck, Germany, people were very superstitious as part of their Catholicism and stuff, but they were very superstitious, and they felt like this black plague was, was in some way uh, of God's wrath being poured out on humanity because of the sin, and so they felt that the way that they could appease God, now just track with this, this sounds more like... like um, like Greek mythology kind of gods, but they, they felt like if they could appease God and, and he would like, you know, quench his anger and he would stop the plague, they would appease him by bringing him a lot of money. And so people from all around the town, they, they brought money to the church, to the monastery. At the same time, the priest inside of those places felt like the money was contaminated. And if they brought the money in, then, then they would get sick. And so they, they locked the doors to the church, to the monastery. And so no joke, the people got there, the doors were locked, and so they just started chucking bags of money over the wall. 
No joke, the priest chucked it back. This is a true story, right? So they're out there like, no, no, we don't want it. Yo, here, you're going to take it. We got jewelry. We got money. It's like, Poof. no, we don't want that. Poof. Back and forth it goes. Finally, the priests give up. And this is the story. There are spots in that, in that church, the monastery area, where the money was piled three, four feet high. People just kept throwing it over the wall, and they just finally quit throwing it back. But they didn't touch it for years for fear that it was contaminated. Here's the weird thing. It's like they thought they could appease God with their money. They thought that the money was contaminated. One thought it was super good. One thought it was super evil. They were both wrong. Money in itself is not good or bad, right? And when Paul says the love of money is the root of all kinds, of, he doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is just money. You can do good or bad with it, but, but it's our attitude towards us or towards it that really causes the problem. So sometimes what happens is we, we look at this stuff and we begin to think like the world thinks. We become normal and we think money is going to solve all of my problems, so I'm going to get as much as I can of it. Well, then that just creates more problems. So when we, when we think of this stuff, I want us to be able to think of it in a new way, not, not, not a normal way. Two things I want to do today. I, I want to kind of wrap up this with our final lesson. And in doing that, I'm going to share with you the most significant financial decision I ever made in my life. I'm going to share that with you as a part of this. And then I want to specifically look at the next 12 months of our lives. Now, obviously, as I'm teaching this stuff, I'm looking at the Word of God. I'm like, this is the way we should live for the rest of our life. But let's just, let's just take one year at a time. And so let's make a, a commitment for this next year. What, what is that going to look like in my life, in my family, in my marriage? What, what is this going to look like? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to kind of deal with both the lesson and we're going to look down the road a little bit. So let me start with this. Last week, we talked about Jesus entering into that temple area on that borrowed donkey, right? Um, Michelle and I were actually able to be in Israel a few years ago. And um, Ken, we were on that same trip together, weren't we? No. Yes. No, not that trip. Okay. We, we've been to Cambodia together. Anyway, sorry. Somebody's in the audience that some of you don't know. But anyway, I know him and he's here and we are reminiscing. So I'm going to go on. All right. So anyway, this is not life size. This is a huge model. It's about as big as this room. And this is the temple at the time of Jesus. Now, as a part of the temple, they had an area called the treasury. And that's where people would bring their offerings. And in fact, they would have like 13 of these looking things that I borrowed here. I'll get into this in a minute. They'd have these in there. And then this is not like first century dress. This is like modern dress. But I always liked this picture. These guys were right there at the temple at, at that Western Wall. You know, they're praying, the Wailing Wall. And so that's where they are. But in this area, there's this treasury. You know, it didn't have a roof. It just had these columns and it says area kind of just separate. And it says, when we get into the Bible here, Jesus is going to use this picture because he's actually going to be hanging out in this area for a purpose because he has a lesson he wants to share with his disciples. Check this out in Mark chapter 12, verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Okay, so this is that place. There's some columns. There's not like one particular doorway. People just kind of sift in. They find one of these. They, they put their offering in. And Jesus is watching. I don't, I don't know if that would just freak anybody else out. But like Jesus just, at offering time, Jesus is watching, you know. But he's also kind of pulled his disciples in. He goes, hey guys, check this out. Let's just, let's just watch a little bit. It just seems like an odd thing to do. But anyway, many rich people threw in large amounts. Many rich people threw in large amounts. Now, in Jesus' time, they didn't have paper money, right? They didn't have like this stuff. They didn't have checks. 
they didn't have push pay an app on their phone so they could give to the temple. Like, they didn't have any of that stuff yet. They only had coins. They had gold coins, silver coins, copper coins, bronze coins. The gold coins, like a a typical gold coin by weight today would be worth about $350. A silver coin, we call a denarius. That's like a a single day's wage. Maybe like $100 today, right? So that would be like That's what that is. And then they had the copper coins and the bronze coins, and they just got smaller and lighter and less valuable as it went, right? So it says Jesus is watching. Well, how would he know, and how would his disciples know that they were putting in large amounts? Well, somebody would walk up to one of these things, and then in this room that there's like 13, there's this kind of a big area, but Jesus is like over there, and he's watching, and he's watching me. How does he know how much they put in? And somebody just walk up and like... And real quick, if you're good with math, you're just like, dude, that was like $2,500 right there. I could tell by the sound. Those were not little. Those were big coins. And I, yeah, man, wow. That was pretty impressive, you know. And then somebody else walks up, you know, and they're like. Wow, that was like $5,000, maybe, maybe even more, right? And then you got that one guy. Now, I know we got that one guy because in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, and when you do give, don't do it for show. Apparently, some people did it for show, like the guy like this. They're like, excuse me, excuse me, coming through, big, big bag here. <laughs> Woo, the crowd today. And it's like, I carried this all the way from my house, and I'm so tired right now. This is a big bag. Let me tell you what, it is. I don't know if anybody's watching this, but I'm just going to go ahead and put this in here because this, this is a demonstration of like how much I really do love God. And that's, that's, I don't know if you're watching this or listening to this, but this is pretty cool. It's like, I, I love God a lot. I want everybody to know that, right? And so on and on it goes. So like, you get this idea, like, Jesus and his disciples are watching, and I think, it doesn't say this, I think the disciples are probably going, whoa. They're watching these rich people bring in the large amounts. They're going, dude, did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. I heard it. I'm just like, way over here. Like, man, that might have been like $50,000. I don't know. It's like I was trying to figure it out. Yeah, me too. I was trying to, I came up with $52,000. You know, they're trying to figure out how much was that because it's so easily... Normal people, let me say this, normal people are so easily impressed by large amounts of money. So that's, that's what they were doing. Check this out, verse 42. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. So no big pomp, no big circumstance. A lady just kind of slips over and leaves. And again, we don't, we don't have this. Let me just kind of spend some time here. <laughs> I'm wondering if the disciples in their awe and their wow of all the big amounts did what maybe normal people would do when she did that. Like, <laughs> lame. What, what is that, that going to do? I mean, why do you even bother? Like, why? You walked all the way in here to do that, you came all the way in here to do that, right? It's like, no, I'm not saying anybody said this out loud, but that's how like normal people would look at this. Like they watch the guy with the big bag, like, oh, thank you so much. That's amazing. We're going to be able to do so much good with that. And then somebody walks in, beep, and we're like, seriously? That's how normal people think. Check this out, verse 43. Calling his disciples to Jesus, to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in, what's that word right there? more into the treasury than all the others. Whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. 
I don't know how many of you have seen The Chosen. Anybody have seen The Chosen? I highly recommend this, all right? I, I, it took me a while to start watching, but we finally did. And it's so good. So you have to get this app on your phone, and then you can kind of cast it to your TV or whatever. But it's, it's back like in Jesus' time, and it's about Jesus and his disciples. But they, they fill in like, like backstory and ideas of the culture. So even though it's, it's sharing scripture, there's stuff that's not Bible, but it's just kind of given this picture. But I, I love what they did with the different characters. And one of my favorites is Matthew. Now, we do know in the Bible that Matthew is a tax collector. And in The Chosen in particular, they have Matthew as being a dude on the spectrum. So he's amazing with numbers, not so amazing with people. He struggles with that. But, but numbers, like fantastic, right? And so I'm reading this with this Matthew in my mind, and I'm thinking that he like stopped right here and goes, um, Jesus, um, I know you don't like to be corrected, but I'm really good with math. I'm really good with finances, and actually, I know what you said, but actually, this lady gave the least. I don't know if you were paying attention. Maybe you were looking at something else, but like she came up and that's all it was. And I was like, it's the least, right? That's how normal people think. She didn't give the most. She gave the least. And he goes, no, she gave actually more. Check this out, verse 44. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. Everybody say that word. Everything, all she had to live on. Jesus is doing something really, really amazing with the story. He's, he's not looking at it like normal people do. In fact, I want you to get this because this is huge and this, this is what needs to stick with us. Okay, here it is. God measures generosity based on percentage, not amount. Let me say that again. God measures generosity based on percentage, not amount. And see, normal people look at the amounts. That's not how Jesus looked at this. He said she gave more. Now, we know the amounts. It wasn't the most. But he says, no, she gave more. Because apparently, not only did Jesus have the ability to watch people in the treasury, but he also knew what their income was. So even though the one person came up and dropped in 50000 and it took a while to pour it all out of his bag, Jesus is like, yeah, but you make $2 million a year. So she gave more. Why? Because it was 100% of her income. It's all she had. See, Jesus just looks at it differently. He doesn't look at it like normal people do. And so we, we've got to get this. We've got to understand this if we're going to really pick up on this and, and understand what he's up to and how he operates. And here's the, here's the good news. Some of you, like this widow, you don't think you have a much, you don't have that much. And you've even said to yourself, I don't even know what difference this makes. Maybe, maybe you're a kid at home and you, you have an allowance. Or maybe you have a part-time job. Maybe you're in high school. Or maybe maybe you're, you're retired. You're on a fixed income. The only income you have now is Social Security. You don't have any other retirement. And you're just barely making it. Like, but, when, but even if you give 10%, you're like, but that's, not, that's hardly anything. I mean, look, look at the building and the lights and, and the children's building and the things we're doing around the world and other places in Cambodia and Kenya and other, well, like all that stuff. What, what difference is this going to make? Well, the cool thing is that there's more than just one story like this. We looked at one of them last week. Remember there was this boy who had this sack lunch and then Jesus took that one sack lunch, the two little fish and the five little barley loaves, and then he multiplied it and he feeds thousands of people. In one of the gospel accounts, remember I told you last week, that's one of the few stories repeated in all four of those gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In one of those accounts, the disciples actually said, here's a lunch, but what good is that among so many? 
normal thinking. Like, that's all I got. It doesn't seem to, like, I have one lunch, but there's like thousands of people here. Doesn't matter. The little boy says, here, you can use that. And then Jesus takes it from there. Feeds all these people, thousands of people, and they have basketfuls left over. It's not about how much we have. Remember, God doesn't need it, but he wants us to be a part of this with him. And so when we give, he's watching the percentage, not the amount. God's not, you know, easily impressed by a large check. He, he watches the percentages. Now, on the other hand, on the flip side, some of you have been very blessed. You have a good job. You've had a series of promotions. You're doing well. Maybe like, like some people got crushed during the pandemic. You, you were just in the right spot at the right time and things just took off and you're doing fantastic. And it's easy for you to be impressed with a gift that's actually not very big for you. Because you're like, hey, look at this. Look what I'm able to do. But God's watching percentages. He's not just watching amounts. So let me tell you, uh, about the single most important financial decision I ever made. But, but first of all, let me say it this way. Let, let's say that you're making more and more and more, and this is what we know based on surveys in America. The more money we make, the less we actually give percentagely. Did you know that? That's, that's just true. The more money we make, the less we give percentagely. In fact, people in America, Christians in America, gave more in the Great Depression percentagely than they do today. In the Great Depression, people gave more percentagely than they do today. The more money we make, the less we give percentage. And why is that? Because it's hard to give when I'm making that much money because now it's more, right? So when we have uh, maybe a $100 a week, you know, part-time job, maybe we're mowing yards or something as a kid in high school, make $100 a week, and we decide we're going to give God a tenth, we're going to give him $10 a week. $10, that's not that much, I mean, it's still, it's 10% of what I've got, but it's like $10, all right? But then we start making $100,000 a year. <laughs> like, I mean, seriously, you want me to give $10,000? Ignore the fact that you still have 90000 now, but it's like, what? It just gets harder and harder to give the more we make because percentagely, it's like, oh, yeah, but now that becomes a lot of money. I saw a thing on TV one time. I didn't tell the other services, you're blessed, you're special, okay? But I saw a thing on TV with a couple of actors, and they were talking about this. And I'm not going to say who it was, but one of the actors said, if I tithed off of what I make, I could build an entire church building. And one of the other people said, maybe that's why you should. He, he, was, he was trapped in that normal way of thinking, but this is a lot of money. Why should I give it away, right? So this one guy goes to his pastor. And he says, Pastor, I, I hear what you're saying, and I actually, that's who I am. It's hard for me. I, I used to tithe. In fact, I used to tithe all, like all the time, and then, and then I started making more money. I went through some promotions, and I got you know, into another company. They headhunted me. I got, and now I'm a vice president. It's like things are going so good. I'm, I'm making a lot of money. I can't tithe anymore because would you please pray for me? <laughs> Pastor says, sure, I'll pray for you. Let's bow our heads. God, would you please reduce his income back down to where he could tithe? They're like, no! <laughs> Here's the single most important financial decision I ever made. I made it as a kid. Now, I was blessed because I had parents that taught me this principle early on. But they gave me an allowance. And I'm, I'm so old. <laughs> I'm so old, like my allowance was like a penny. No, it's like, I, I remember specifically getting a dollar. 
And then we would divide it up into change. And I, would, I, would had, a, I had a dime that I would take to church. That was 10%. Like I began to do that as a little kid. And that's the most important decision I ever made financially by, by, by far. I became a little bit older. I turned 14 years old. I got my first kind of, kind of real job. I was a custodian, a part-time custodian at a local church where my dad was the pastor. So I knew the boss. So I got in, all right? So I'm 14 years old, and I'm, I'm just working a couple of hours a week, really, just after clean up on the weekends. And, but I was tithing from that. I turned 16. And uh, I got a real job. Like, I went into the marketplace, right? And I got a job at Montgomery Wards. Anybody remember Monkey Wards, right? So I was basically in high fashion in the men's department in Montgomery. That's an oxymoron, okay? So no high fashion in Montgomery Wards. But I worked in the men's clothing area, right? 16 years old, I was tithing off of that. I, I graduated high school and I started working at an auto part warehouse and then into my freshman year of college, I was still working there. I was tithing off of that. I started preaching regularly at a church when I was a junior in college, a little church in Conway, Missouri. And thank you God for social media because I'm still able to keep up with some of those people that I still dearly love who, who let me be their preacher for a couple of years when I was just a snotty-nosed kid, right? So like, I, I'm so, but I was, I was tithing them. I moved to Hemet in 1987, 34 and a half years ago. Started working at this church right here. Started tithing. Michelle and I met. We got married. We were both going to tithe. We both were tithing separately. We said, together, we're going to tithe. Yes, we are. We get married in September. September 17th, if you want to write that on your calendar and send us some really nice gifts next year. Anyway, September 17th. And then the following January, we'd been given 10% since we got married. The following January, I said, hey, I th I'm going to blow your mind. I think we should try to give 11%. Whoa! Yeah, so we did that for a year, and then 12% the next year. And then the next year, Michelle says, whoa, whoa, whoa what's our plan? I, go, I don't know. So we prayed about it for three weeks separately. We read our Bible. We prayed about it for three weeks separately. And then in three weeks, we came back together, and both of us had the exact same amount. We both said, let's try to do 20%, see what happens. So we've been doing that or more ever since... February of 1991, and God has just been faithfully good over. I can't even begin to explain how important that decision was. That I started as a little kid, but I carried on through my life. I can't even tell you how important that was for me, like spiritually, yes, but emotionally, yes, relationally, absolutely, in my marriage and my family. Like that, that's the single most important strategic financial decision I ever made. And I will tell everybody that I meet ever, it's like, this is something that God invites us to do so that we can do ministry with him. And I would tell every single person, I know, no matter how much you make, like this is, this is gonna be a good thing for you. It's a good thing for you. And every now and then I do get pushback from people. They're like, yeah, but that's, a, that's Old Testament. That's Old Covenant, Right? Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, the ones who were like, oh, 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 all the time. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Let me just stop here for a second. These guys were like letter of the law dudes. They knew they were supposed to, so they would, they would harvest their herb garden, they would set it all out, and they would cut it up to the temple, to the temple, and Jesus is like, you guys even do that. Okay, that, that's the context. These guys are tithing anything that comes, like as a harvest, they're, they're tithing from it, like, like they should, he says, right? But you have neglected the more important, check this out, 
matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Here, here's what he's saying, because you don't want to miss this. You should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, faithfulness, without neglecting the former, tithing. Here's what he's saying. You guys are tithing, but you're not very nice to people. Did you know it's possible to tithe and still be a jerk? Yes, it is. It is. He goes, I, I want you to tithe, but I want you to have justice, mercy, faithfulness as you deal with other people. And here's the cool thing. Here's really what he's saying. Don't, don't miss this. Because if there, if there was ever a moment where Jesus could have said, by the way, that's Old Testament. You don't have to do that anymore. This would have been the place. But he didn't do that. In fact, I'm just going to just, this is totally like, because I care about you. I want the best for you. Listen to this. If we were to really track with what Jesus did in the New Testament, we wouldn't be asking this question. Because he says stuff like this in the Sermon on the Mount. I know, you heard you shouldn't commit adultery, but I'm going to tell you, you shouldn't even lust. And you shouldn't murder somebody. Yeah, I agree with that. But you shouldn't even hate somebody. He, in every case, he, he took it up a notch. So what do you think he would say if we started talking? Yeah, do we really have to give 10%? And he goes, let's take it up a notch. This is not just Old Testament stuff. In fact, we find tithing in the Bible before the law ever comes out with Moses. This is a principle, like everything belongs to God. I'm the manager, he's the owner, and I'm gonna return that very first portion to him just to show him and to cooperate with him and his kingdom that he is number one in my life. That, that's really what's going on here. That's what's at stake here. A lady calls her pastor. Now, her husband has a history of heart issues, and she just got word that he inherited $50 million. So she calls the pastor and she says, um, I know you've been a good friend to my husband and you know about his heart and all, but we just got word he inherited $50 million. Could you, could you come and like explain it to him in like in a kind way? So like, I, I just, I'm afraid he's going to have a heart attack and die and not enjoy this. So the pastor says, I'll be glad to help. So he goes over and he just, just gets some iced tea and they're hanging out talking. He goes, hey, by the, by the way, Bill, I'm, I'm just curious. What's the most you ever made like in a, in a whole year in your life? You know, he's retired and just, just look back and, you know, well, right before I retired, I made $82,000 that year. And they're just like, man, that's pretty cool. And the pastor says, yeah, I, I got a question. He goes, what if, and I, it's just hypothetical, what, what would you do if like $50 million, just like, boom, like inheritance, somebody gave it to you a gift or something, just like, let's just, just play the game. Like $50 million, what if you got that? And he said, well, I'd start by tithing to my church. The pastor had a heart attack and died. So... Here's what we're trying to do with this series. I, I don't want you to think just like normal people. It's so, it's so common, but it's not, it's not healthy. Normal people, when we start to ask this stuff, they begin to say stuff like this, and they ask these questions. But what if I don't have enough at the end of the month? What if the economy tanks? I mean, I've been, I've been watching this inflation stuff and the housing bubble. Something's going to break. But we better stock away. I, I can't afford to give anything right now because we don't know what's going to happen. You know, what, what if, I, if I don't graduate and I got all these student loans and then I can't get the job that's going to help me pay for this? Like, what if, what if, what if? Like, what if I marry this girl and she doesn't turn out to be like my mommy? It's like all these what if questions we ask, right? So I'm going to give you some what if questions, but I'm going to ask them from a place of faith. Not normal questions, but these are the right questions. Check this out. What if we prayed like never before? Let's just say for the next 12 months. Not even like the rest of my life, but just the next, all oh, this focus, like a laser beam, the next 12 months. What if I prayed like never before? What if we invited more people than we ever have to church to, to meet Jesus? 
What if we were intentional, like every week, like somebody's on our mind, every week we're praying, every day we're like watching for those opportunities. What if we invited more people than ever before? What if we served and gave and loved better than we ever have before? Like a whole church, like all of us. What, what if we all did this? What if, what if we were 100% all, all in? What if all of us were all in? Can you even imagine the difference that we, even just one church, could make in this community? What if all these churches got on board? Like all of us were all, all in. It's all, all these Christians in this community stood up and lovingly made a difference in this community. It's, it could happen, but we're going to have to be very intentional. We just can't let another year slip by and go, oh, you know what we should have done? It's like, no, this is very intentional. We want to make a difference. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Now, here's a quote I gave you last week. I'm going to give you two one more time from Ray Johnston. Nothing great happens through you until it happens in you. And this is what I want to focus on for the next few minutes. One of the ways that we've seen this challenge help people is like say, okay, this, this is what God says. And I know 10% is, if you're at zero now or you just give occasionally when you see any, 10% is a huge change. It is. You're going to have to rearrange some stuff in order for this to happen. You have to maybe stop buying certain things or stop going out to eat as much. There's going to be some changes you make in order for that to happen. But here's what I want to do. We, we do this every now and then at community, and this is no, no joke. We call it the 90-day tithing challenge. And we have a form like this out in the lobby for those of you online. Well, it'll, be on my, it'll be on my blog tomorrow if everything goes right with this attachment. You can fill this out, mail it back into us. But basically, the 90-day tithing challenge goes like this. If you start tithing and you check the box, I'm going to do this for 90 days. You're faithful and you do this for 90 days, 10% or more of your income. Then at the end of 90 days, if you think, God's not what he said he was. I think this is a horrible idea. We'll give you your money back. 90 days, money back guarantee. Now, why in the world would we do that? Okay, first of all, there is some fine print. And it just says we have to have this recorded. You can't come to us in the middle of February and say, by the way, I gave $327,000. I know I just gave it all cash. You don't have a record of this, but I would like it all back. That, that ain't going to happen, all right? But if you recorded it, like you gave through PushPay, you gave, you know, a check, whatever, and we're able to record it, all of that, we would give all that. And, and all the years we've been doing, we've been doing this for years, we've only had one person ask for it back, and we just gave it back. No questions asked. So if this is like, oh, I don't know about this. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, you should read that. God says, test me in this. And that's why we're making it a test, a challenge. It's the only place in the Bible, by the way, where God says, test me. And I think it's because he knows how vulnerable our heart is when it comes to money stuff. Okay, the other thing I want you to do is get out this envelope. I know you already peaked, so just take it out, open it up. But here's what I want you to do with the envelope, okay? I want you to put your name and address on the front of this because what you're going to do in a little bit is we're going to place these on the communion tables and then we're going to get communion and go back to our seats. But this is going to be your way of saying, okay, God, this is my commitment for the next 12 months. But, but I, want, I want you to know, put your name and address on it because in May, six months from now, the halfway point of this 12-month commitment, we're going to mail them back to you. And you're going to get to look at it and say, hey, this is what I committed to do. How's that going? By the way, how's God doing, Right? He said he would do certain things. He would, he would help and bless in my life and work in my life. What's he been doing in this time? All right, so we're going to have these four things. So let me walk you through these four things. This is what we call the epic life. If you ever see my Jeep in town, it says epic LF. That's what this is referring to. These are four commitments that our church talks about every year. And we feel like if we would do these four things, we can allow God to work in us so that he can work through us, right? This is how we get there. Every day with Jesus, the E stands for um, really reading our Bible every day, open up our Bible every day. 
It could be five minutes. It could be 30 minutes. It could be an hour. But every day we're going to spend some time listening to what God says, spending some time in prayer with him. Every day knowing that he's with me all day, every day. Not just in those few minutes I open my Bible. Every day. The P is for practical love. There's a lot of ways that we can practically love the people in our life. Like practical, hands-on, helping, serving. But this is how we say it at Community. If heaven and hell are real, the most loving thing we could do for anybody is introduce them to Jesus. So on this this one, you have a line. That's for a name of a person that you know, you care about. They don't know Jesus yet. Just write their name on there. For me, I I pray for that person every day at 111. My alarm goes off on my phone. I pray for that person every day. I've put that person's name on our chalkboard over there. I want you to put it right here on your card. And so in six months, you're going to get it back. Some of you are going to be able to say, I know, they came to Christ back in April. Some of you are going to say, oh, need to keep praying and just don't ever give up on them. So you're going to put the name of the person, at least one name of somebody you're praying for right there. The I is for intentional ministry, meaning for the next 12 months, I want you to be intentional about finding a way to serve and be involved. It could be a weekend thing, host team, tech team, helping with the cafe, children's ministry, security, anything like that. The things we do on the weekends, there's things that happen here during the week, you know, youth ministry and different things. But, but here's the thing. Some of the ways you could be ministering are actually in our community. You could join a team, join a ministry, be a part of your kid's school, whatever. Like intentionally be used by God to serve other people. Like don't just wait until you have like that feeling like, oh, 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 I feel like serving today. You know, it's like, fantastic, great. That rarely happens, by the way. Um, just do it. Like intentionally do ministry. And then the C is for comprehensive investment. Comprehensive means everything. Like my whole body, I, I, my whole life, my, my relationships, my, my house, my money, my stuff. Yeah, but my talents, my abilities, everything, everything belongs to God. I'm just the manager of it. And so when I come to this one, that's when I do say, yeah, part of that is going to be a financial thing I do. But I, but I want to understand this the, the way that I picture, you know, our baptism. Like he says, you know, we're, we're buried with Christ, raised to walk a new life. Another way to say that is, like, he died for me. So I'm going to live for him. You know, I'm offering my whole body as a living sacrifice. Like everything, comprehensive, everything is his. So the way we're going to do the end of this is you're going to just put your name and you're going to date it. And right here, you're going to put the percentage of what you're going to give regularly each time you get paid. Maybe you get paid once a month, once a week, twice a month, whatever it is, just, just put the percentage. You don't have to do the math right now. And for some of you, that, that's easy because you've been doing 10%. And you're like, I'm going to keep doing 10%. Some of you are like, I've been doing 10%, but you know what? We, we've talked about, maybe we should try 12 or 15 or whatever, right? Like I said, my wife and I have been doing 20% for, for 30 years. I'd never go back and do that differently. I've just seen too much of God's goodness in the midst of that, right? So just put down the percentage. So some of you are like, sorry, whoa, whoa, what? I'm not going to tell you what you have to put there. Maybe, maybe you even think about it like, I'm going to walk my way towards that, so maybe I'm going to start at 3% or 6% or something. I'm, I'm going to start somewhere. You just start somewhere and say, God, every time I get paid, I want to acknowledge that you're the owner, I'm the manager, and I want to put you first, and I'm going to start now. I can't even tell you how many people in our church have come to me and said to me, even during the series, most amazing thing I ever did was start tithing. And then I hear the stories of the ways that God has done something miraculous in their life. I've, I've got a couple of really good friends who went from 10% to 15% in the last two years. 
And they just said, it's unbelievable what God has done and how we've been blessed financially. Because now, even though we're giving more, it's like we haven't even missed it. God just keeps, and then we're just continuing to be generous. And then God just keeps resupplying. It's like, it's just like he says in his Bible. I'm like, I know. God is that good. He's that amazing. Um, one other thing, I forgot to do this in the last service, but let me do this real quick. For those of you who do give online, we have an app called PushPay that, that we use. It's not just for us. And so when you get to PushPay and you start to set this up, you're going to want to go to the Community Christian Church. There's a lot of Community Christian Churches in the country. Make sure it has our little logo and it says Him at California there. Otherwise, you might be really blessing a church in the middle of Missouri which is not a bad thing either, right? But if you want to participate here, make sure it's ours. Um, but the way PushPay works is you set up all your stuff one time and you can make it reoccurring to where it happens every time you get paid. You just automatically, it happens. Or you can make it to where you just do it, but you don't only have to put in your stuff one time, like your bank account, and, and then you designate the church. And all. You do that stuff one time and then it just works for you, right? So those are some things for you. But let me just wrap it up this way and then I'm going to pray as we lead into communion. Normal people, let me say this one more time. Normal people are takers and consumers. And they ask, what's in it for me? That's, that's a very normal question. What's in it for me? But Christ followers, they know that God's the owner and they're the manager. And then they ask questions like this. Who can I get to go to heaven with me? Do you hear the difference? What's in it for me? Or who can I get to go to heaven with me? We, we, just, we just realize that the stuff that we get to use while we're here on earth, like nobody has a U-Haul connected to their hearse. Like we don't take it with us. We really don't. It's like, what am I going to do with the stuff that God allows me to have now? What am I going to do with this temporary stuff to make a difference for all of eternity for somebody that's the kind of questions we need to be asking. And so um, if, you, if you forgot to get a pen and you've been sitting there, I wanted to do this, but I didn't get a chance to. We got pens on the back tables. If you want to slip back and get that. But in just the next few moments, I'm going to ask you just to put that in there and seal that. Make sure your name and your address is clearly legible on the front so we can mail this back to you. If you're a couple and you both have your own card, but uh, we'll just do one envelope, just stuff them both in there. We'll, we'll mail them back to you in May. However you want to do that, it's fine. And when you're ready, just make your way over to one of our tables. We have tables all the way around the room. Just lay those in the middle of the table and then grab your communion. There's two cups there. There's, there's the bread on the bottom and the juice on the top. Just grab those and then make your way back to your seat. Okay, you can go do that now. Go drop off those cards. Like, God, here I am. Here's my commitment for the next 12 months. And then grab that communion and take it back to your seat. In just a moment, we're going to wrap up our service by remembering what Christ did for us. Think about this. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth about their giving, their generosity. And he talks about stuff like you reap what you sow. And, 
It's a pretty famous passage, but, but I love verse 15. He, he finishes all that by saying this, but thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You really want to understand generosity, you go to the cross. You really want to understand generosity, you, you go to Calvary, you go to the cross, you look at what Jesus did for us. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So for a moment, we're not going to rush this. For a moment, I want you to just hold, I want you to feel that bread and think of his body. You know, before he even got to the cross, he was arrested. He was beaten. He was spat upon. The Bible says they would blindfold him and they would hit him. And they say, hey, if you're so smart, if you're such a prophet, then tell us who hit you. The ironic thing about that, while Jesus chose to be silent, he could have said, yeah, your name is Joseph. I know your parents' names. I know your children's names. I know where you live. I know how much you make. I know your talents. I made you. But he just remained silent because he'd already made the choice. God, not my will, but yours be done. And this was part of it. His body was going to be beaten. It'd bear the marks of our sin. He gave his body for you. Take that right now together. And that cup, just hold that cup for a moment. The cup reminds, of, uh, reminds us of his blood. Blood that he, he willingly, lovingly gave that we could have our sins forgiven. I mean, this, this is amazing stuff when you think about it. But in Ephesians, it says that before the foundations of the world were made, before God created the world, it was his plan to adopt us into his family, and the price would be the blood of Jesus. Like he knew the moment that he made us, he knew we would choose sin and they would separate us from him. In order for us to be reunited, reconciled with him, somebody would have to pay for that. Like the penalty of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus would do that with his own blood. That we imperfect, messed up people, and I'm right there with you, that we could have a relationship with a holy, perfect God. He did that for us with his blood. Remember that right now as you take it. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, we, we head into this Thanksgiving week and we have to say, uh, first and foremost, we just are thankful for you and your sacrifice and your love and your grace and your willingness to come after us in spite of our sin. God, thank you for, for taking care of our sin and wiping the slate clean with your sacrifice. And God, I just want to pray for this church. God, it would be amazing if, if every Christian in this valley, whichever church they went to, would get this. But let's just talk about us, God. Would you please move and work in us in the next 12 months in a way that we would just look back and say, that was a God year. In order for that to happen, God, we, we've got to be open to you. We've got to follow you, obey you, choose you day in and day out. And God, I just pray that it uh, the end of the next 12 months, we'll see so many more people come to know you. We'll see marriages reconciled. We'll, we'll see people freed from addiction. We'll, we'll see the change of life that only you can bring. 
but that's happening because you're using us to reach out to our friends. And so God, maybe, maybe our prayer is just as simple as this. God, use us. Send us. We're all in. In the name of Jesus, and if you're all in, you say amen. In the name of Jesus, everyone said amen.